welcome you. Thank you for joining us today as we are continuing our study in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus in a chronological order. And we are today finally entering into the final week of Jesus' life. We call this Passion Week. This is from Sunday to Sunday. It's from the triumphal entry to the resurrection. And there is so much that takes place in this season of time in Christ's life. It's going to take us a while to get through it, but today we're going to begin uh, that study. So I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter number 11. And while you're turning there, I want to invite um, uh, Zach Worley and Kayla. Why don't you guys come on up here, if you will. So excited to have Zach uh, and Kayla here coming today to join River City Baptist Church. Uh, God brought them here uh, from Pensacola, and they're uh, serving in a Christian school ministry here in town as athletic director, and uh, they have two um, young children crews, and oh man, I, I just forgot it, Blakely, okay, yeah, so uh, I, we're so glad to have them, they have come, they have, uh, they have a testimony of salvation, they've been baptized, and they have also been to our new member orientation, and so they've come today to officially be a part of River City Baptist Church, all in favor say amen. amen. Welcome guys to the family. I want to have a word of prayer with them as we, as we do. I, I think sometimes we, we, um, we need to realize when you, when you come and you partner with the church, it's more than just uh, another thing that you do to just kind of check off a box. When you partner with the church, you are entering a family and you are, you are becoming a missionary. Uh, you are becoming a part of a church where you are, you are set out and commissioned as a church to reach our community and to serve the Lord with the gifts that God has given them. And so I'm so excited uh, that they have come. And I want to pray for them. And let's pray together before we have our message today. Lord, I thank you for Zach and Kayla. And Lord, I thank you for their lives. I thank you for the gifts. I thank you for the calling. I thank you for moving them to Jacksonville, Florida. Lord, you have a greater purpose for their lives, for their children. Lord, as they partner with our church, I pray that they will see you use their lives, their gifts their abilities for the gospel. I pray that they will, uh, they will magnify you and their lives and their marriage and the raising of their children. I pray as they assimilate into our church that we will be an encouragement to them and that they will be an encouragement to us and together we will reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we love you and we're so grateful for how you are building your church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's welcome him to the family one more time. Thanks, guys. If you are interested in getting to know a little bit more about River City or even joining River City Baptist Church, we do have another new members uh, orientation just to get to know uh, uh, us a little bit better, get to know me and my family a little bit better. It's on October 9th. That's two Sundays from today at 930, and that's in my office, and we'll be glad to get you more information about that. If you would just... Uh, uh, maybe take a connection card there in the seat back and pocket in front of you. If you have not been to that, you're interested in that, just take one of those cards out and just write October 9th on it, put your name on it, we'll know what you're talking about, and we'll do our best to connect with you and get you into that meeting so that you can get to know more about our church and get to know other new families that are coming to the church as well. So I'm excited about that. All right, Mark's Gospel, chapter number 11, and let's begin our reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, 
He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into a village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered into it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spake to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let him go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their coats on it, clothes on it. And he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Amen. This is God's word. This morning, as we look at what we call the triumphal entry, I want to preach to you a message this morning entitled, The King is Coming. The King is Coming. And let's pray and ask God to help us as we look at this today and study, and may he receive all the glory. Lord, would you use this message? Speak to our hearts. Thank you for this amazing event and what it means and what we get to look forward to in the future of your soon and imminent return. Lord, I pray that you will bless this Bible study and the message with your anointing, your presence, and your conviction. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We worked in California, my schedule kept me uh, really busy during the days and oftentimes would not have any chance to come home even though we lived relatively close to the, the church and school that I worked at. Uh, I taught live in, in Bible college classes and pretty much uh, kept a busy schedule uh, pretty much all the day. And when my son Brent was born, we, I think when we moved here Brent was three, so he was, he was one and two and it just turned three out in California before we moved here. We lived on a, 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 on a street where uh, when you turned into our neighborhood and started driving toward our house, you could see uh, our car coming from our house from a little bit of a distance. And Brent had his bedroom in those early days right by the window that you could look down the street and see all the cars coming. And uh, Brent would, uh, would sit there for... Uh, hours sometimes knowing that I was going to be coming home watching intently and 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 wouldn't leave for a long time in fact interestingly about Brent he still does that today now not necessarily for me but if he thinks anything exciting is about to happen then Brent is going to go out in front of our house and he is going to watch buddy who is thinking about visiting our house even if they're not coming for him I mean, if he just knows something exciting is happening, he's going to go out on the sidewalk. And I mean, even in the last couple of months, he has been out there for like two hours watching. I remember when Adam 
uh, our, uh, uh, came to stay at our place because he uh, is here welding school and, and Adam was driving down from West Virginia and we've been lifelong family friends with their, with their family and he's come down here for welding school and, and, and Brent, Brent knew he was coming that, that day and Brent literally stayed outside for just like two or three hours waiting on Adam and I got to tell you the devastation that took place when Adam broke down up in Georgia and it kind of blew the whole uh, arrival you know that night was pretty extraordinary. And Brent, Brent illustrates really for us what all of us should be doing in anticipation for our Lord Jesus to come back. This account of the triumphal entry was not a waiting for the second coming, but it was the culmination of a long waiting for the first coming. Before the Lord Jesus came to this earth and John the Baptist proclaimed that he was the Lamb of God, Israel had sat in silence for 400 years. From the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew, there's 400 years of prophetic silence. Prior to that time, many of the prophets in the Old Testament proclaimed that the Messiah would come. And the Messiah would redeem Israel. And we all know that that Messiah is, in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ. This text, the scripture in Mark 11, it's, in fact, it's in all four Gospels is a fulfillment of Psalm 24, verses 7 through 11. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. And in Matthew and Mark, Luke and John, they all record this account where Jesus Christ is going to enter into Jerusalem one week before his resurrection and he is going to come there and actually finally present himself as Messiah, the Messiah of Israel. Now if you go back and you look earlier in the life of Christ, there were times where uh, he does not reveal this identity so broadly to everybody. In fact, there are many occasions, particularly in the book of Mark, like Mark 2 and Mark chapter 5, verse 43, where something happens, like Jesus performs a great miracle. And he actually tells the people strictly, sometimes it says, not to tell others about this miracle. For his time had not yet come. But friends, in, in the last week of the Lord's life, he was presenting himself to Israel. He was, he was identifying himself to everybody as the Son of God, as the King of Israel. And this triumphal entry is the official announcement that Jesus Christ has come and he's presenting himself as the King of the Jews. And so it's a very important passage of Scripture and I want you to learn three lessons about this morning. The first thing we see is the proclamation of the King. The proclamation of the King. Jesus is going to, to, to make some statements here, and he's going to be identified clearly as Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the King of Israel. And we learn three ways in which this happens. First of all, we learn that Jesus is the divine King. Jesus is going to make it very clear here in Mark's Gospel, chapter number 11, that he is in fact unmistakably the King of Israel and the Son of God. Interestingly enough, look down here if you will at what he says here in verse number 2. And he said, go into the village opposite of you, and as you have entered into it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has set. Loose it and bring it. 
And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, watch this, say, the Lord has need of it. Now, I don't know if that caught your attention when you read it the first time, but I got to tell you, that's quite a statement, isn't it? He doesn't uh, uh, pedal around this issue. He tells them plainly and clearly. When these people ask you, what are you doing, tell them this. Not just Jesus said it, uh, not, just, uh, not just the guy from Nazareth said it, but he said, tell them that the Lord has need of it. Jesus is revealing his identity as actually the Son of God, the divine King. And people sometimes ask, well, Jesus choose to ride this colt. And I love what my friend H.B. Charles said. He said this, why he chose to ride is evident by what he chose to ride. And this is a fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah chapter number 9 and verse number 9 that tells us that when the Messiah enters into Jerusalem, he's actually going to enter in on this particular animal. And so he's demonstrating to us here that he is in fact God. And if you look a little deeper, there's some extraordinary things here that Jesus tells us. I mean, there, there is a supernatural arrangement of these events. I mean, the Bible says here, go into the village opposite you. Many Bible scholars would uh, suggest that this is a village they had never been to. This is a place they weren't familiar with. Jesus says, I want you to go into the opposite village, a place you're not comfortable with, a place we've likely not been to before. And here's what's going to happen. When you get there, you're going to find a colt tied up, and this is what you're going to do. And of course, they get there, and guess what they find? They find the colt tied just like Jesus said. Now, folks, you can call that a coincidence if you want, or you can call it what it is, and that is that Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, who sees everything and knows everything, knew that there would be, in fact, a colt tied there, and he arranged the circumstances to follow the prophetic utterance of Zechariah, the prophet. And then there's sovereign authority that you see here as well. When they ask, what are you doing, here's what you're going to say. The Lord has need of it. He showed and demonstrated authority that when you are asked this question, I am going to tell you what to say, and I want you to say that the Lord needs it, and therefore you need to provide it. So he is, in fact, the divine king. He is also the true king. Look at verse 10. As they begin to worship him, the Bible says, Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest. Now, now again, I, I mentioned to you earlier that, that this account is in every single one of the four Gospels, which is a very unusual event. Only things like the crucifixion and the resurrection are mentioned in all four Gospels. So when you see one of these events mentioned in all four Gospels, it is significant. And make no mistake about it, these, these people, the children of Israel, are making it very clear that they believe that the one who's coming through the gates is a fulfillment of the kingdom promise to David. Now, if you were to go to Matthew's gospel, this story I believe is in chapter number 21, and you're going to find that Jesus Christ it has been built as the king of the Jews for the entire book, and this is like the, the, the highlight moment of everything that Matthew has said. And Matthew starts his gospel and says, this is the book of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he traces his lineage all the way back to David. Why is that? 
It's because he was demonstrating to his audience that Jesus Christ is the true king. He is the son of David. He's called the son of David. And when you see that title, son of David, it is a statement that he is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant promise. Only someone who was a son of David could be the king of Israel. And so when these people say that, they are saying he is our king. But then he's also demonstrating that he is the only king. He says here in Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, verse 4, you can write that down as a cross-reference. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, I love this thought. The thought is, why in the world does Jesus say in verse number 3 that he has need of it? I mean, think about this. Does Jesus really need anything? I mean, does God need anything? In fact, I think it's over in Isaiah. God says, look, if I needed something, I'm not going to ask you. If I needed wisdom, I'm not going to ask you for wisdom. If I needed strength, I'm not going to look to you for that. God is what we would call self-sufficient. So you might look at this text and go, wait a second, why is Jesus saying here, I have need of a donkey? It wasn't that Jesus physically needed a donkey to help him ride. Here's what it's basically saying. The Lord needed it because in the Old Testament, the method of him entering into Jerusalem was going to be riding on a donkey. So if scripture said that he was going to ride in on a donkey in order to fulfill that scripture, he was going to do it. If the king was going to enter scripturally in on a donkey, then Jesus was going to ride on a donkey. And so he's identifying himself over and over and over again. From Matthew chapter 16 now to the triumphal entry, there is an identification. Jesus Christ is God. Now, church, i got to tell you, I know sometimes you can hear this stuff over and over again. And if you're not careful, it will become very commonplace to you. It will become very routine for you to hear this. But listen, do not let this be overlooked in your life. Jesus Christ is, in fact, God. We are not worshiping we're not worshiping a good teacher. We're not worshiping another prophet. We're talking about the very son of the living God, Jesus Christ. And he's identified himself plainly in this text. Number two, I want you to see not only the proclamation of the king, but the second thing that stands out to me here is the praise of the king. The praise of the king. Uh, the Bible says here that they, they do several things here to honor or respect or praise the king. They celebrate his victory. Uh, the Bible talks about how they cut down branches and lay it down on the road so that the king can ride on them. Uh, this was a, a testament of victory. Oftentimes we see this at the end of maybe a war. I know back in, in the day like World War I or World War II when those wars officially ended, uh, you would see these large celebrations with soldiers and and, and other people paraded through the streets. Now I recognize today that, that wars that we experience today don't have such fine start and ending dates. But in those days when it was a different kind of war, there would be a, a literal uh, cessation of war. It would be a, a stopping point. And when all the soldiers returned home, you would see this extraordinary display of victory, of celebration. I guess to put it in kind of a, 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 a less significant uh, a picture is when your favorite team wins a, uh, a, like a Super Bowl. 
I know that never happens here in Jacksonville, so I'm really sorry for all of you that are waiting for that. You're probably going to be waiting till after the rapture for something like that to happen. Although, although, I mean, come on. Did they not beat the Colts last week 24 to 0? What in the world happened? I mean, I guess uh, all the Colts were sick and had the flu when they were playing like their fourth team or whatever. But anyways, besides that, uh, you might be waiting a long time for this to happen. But those of us that cheer for the Kansas City Chiefs now, uh, we can recall in recent days uh, the huge parade. I mean, when they won the Super Bowl a few years back, I am telling you, the downtown Grand Central Station area of Kansas City was filled. They estimated that nearly three-quarters of a million people were dressed in red celebrating the Chiefs bringing the Super Bowl back after 50 years. They won Super Bowl IV and Super Bowl 54. And I got to tell you, it was a red scene. If you've ever had a team win a national championship, a World Series, whatever the case may be, you will see them line the streets in celebration of a great victory. Now, folks, this is what is taking place in Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. They are celebrating the victory. Now, i got to be honest with you, they did not know what they were celebrating, but they knew the king had come. Sad to say, the same people that are crying Hosanna on Sunday are crying crucify him on Friday. Now, to be clear, they did not necessarily to altogether know what they were cheering for, but they were cheering for what they thought was their Messiah and what they thought was going to be an upheaval of the Roman government. And I tell you, they were celebrating, although they were mistaken. I got to tell you, we got something to celebrate today, and there's no mistaken about who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross through the resurrection. Did he not provide for us the victory of all victories says he celebrated his victory then they honored his royalty the bible says they laid down their coats at his presence matthew 21 verse 8 a very great listen to this a very great multitude spread their garments in the way others cut down branches from trees second kings chapter 9 verse 13 when they anointed jehu king of israel the bible says then they hasted and took every man his garment and put it under him on top of the stairs and blew the trumpet saying jehu is king so you see in scripture when, when there's this, this humility of taking off your coat and honoring someone else, it is a respect of the position of the royalty and of the kingship of the person that you are offering the praise to. And then finally, we see this idea that they are offering to him praise and offering to him a humble request. Notice again verse number 9. Then those who went out before and those who followed cried out saying, look at this word here, Hosanna. I don't know if you've ever studied this word. I know that, 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 that oftentimes we see Bible words and we don't necessarily know what they mean. And the truth is, we, we, don't, we don't see this, this word a lot in songs today. I think it was a little bit more common maybe a, a couple of decades ago. And you would see Hosanna used a little more frequently. There are a few songs that would use Hosanna. But when you see that, you may not really know what it is other than if you see play. And you hear kids saying it or whatever the case may be. But Hosanna is an amazing word. Here's what Hosanna actually means. Save us, O God. Save us, O God. And can I tell you, that is a prayer that at the same time provides praise to God all wrapped up in one. Do you realize that when you ask 
God for something, it is essentially an opportunity for you to praise him. Because when you come to him asking him for something, you obviously are believing that he can do it. And can I say to you, there's no greater thing to come to God for than the salvation of your own soul. The Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It is the, it is the ultimate request from a sinner. God, save us. We need you. And i, and I got to ask you this morning, has that ever happened in your life? Have you ever come to a place where you humbled your heart before God? And you cried out to God. You may not have used the word Hosanna because you may have not known what it means. But i got to tell you, if you've ever come to saving faith in Christ, you came to God and in one way or the other, you said, God, save me. Now, friend, it may have come out in different ways. It may have came out in a different uh, a spiel, however you want to say it. Some will lead people in a sinner's prayer. You may have said something as simple as, God, save me. How many of you know it doesn't really matter what formula did, what words you said, but if you came to God and you essentially said, God, save me. How many of you know this? The minute that happens, God absolutely saved you. And when I come to God and say, God, I need you to save me, I'm saying, I obviously know that I cannot save myself. Now, friend, listen, the very first way in which a person comes to faith in Christ is by first acknowledging that they cannot save themselves. And friend, I'm here to tell you, you are not going to get to God because you go to church, because you're a good person, because you're trying to do the best that you can. There has to be this humility in my heart that says, God, I need you. What you see from these people is a display of praise. And I'm saying to you that as we see our king entering into Jerusalem for the final week of his life, getting ready to exercise the greatest sacrifice ever given, to provide the greatest offer man has ever received, the offer of salvation. May I say to you, as you leave this place and go about your week, there is one truth that should permeate your heart, and that is this. Christ is worthy of my praise. Did you know that in Washington, D.C., the tallest structure in Washington, D.C. is the Washington Monument? It is 555 feet tall. Interestingly enough, on the eastern side of the Washington Monument, at the highest peak of the Washington Monument, is inscribed in Latin these words, Laos Deo, Laos Deo. The first building in Washington, D.C., every morning that faces east, the very first ray of sun that hits the very first side of a building in that city says out, praise be to God, praise be to God, praise be every day, praise be to God. And friend, I'm here to tell you, there ought to be a sense of urgent and excited praise coming out of your heart and life every single day because of what Jesus was willing to come and what Jesus was willing to do for you. Praise be to God. So there is, there is the proclamation of the king. There is the praise of the king. And then finally, and, and really this is really what I wanted to drill down on. There is, there is the promise of the king. Because sometimes we can look at a text like this and it can look super theological. And it is. There is, there is something tying together so much of what God has said previously. There's so much that is coming to happen here. 
And yet I think sometimes we can look at a text like this and overlook very quickly what is really a takeaway here for me? What can I really latch on to when I walk away from looking at something like this? And i got to tell you, what I see in this text, maybe more than anything, is there are some promises of the king that are being fulfilled right here in this text. And I will tell you, every time I see a passage of scripture like this, it urges me in my heart to be reminded that the promises of God are always true. In Christ, they are always yes. And in my life, they are always to be claimed. And I want to say this to you, there are at least a couple of things that you can take away from this as far as the promises of our God. Let me give you the first one, and maybe, maybe you came here today just to hear what I am getting ready to tell you, and that is this. One promise you can always latch on to with God is this, His timing is always perfect. I, re- I referenced this earlier, Mark chapter 5 verse 43 But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, that his miracle was performed, and that something should be given her to eat. He raised up that girl from the dead. In Mark chapter number 5, he feeds her and he tells everybody around that witness this miracle. Don't say anything. In Mark 2, he does the same thing. The guy gets healed from from being raised up uh, off of his sick bed. And God says, I don't want you to say anything about it. Don't say anything about it. But then when you see John's gospel unfold and you come to John chapter 12, which is where this story is in John's gospel. Listen to John chapter 12 verse 23. But Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. John chapter 13 verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world. You back up to John 10 a little bit, it says this, Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life and I take it up again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down by myself. What I'm saying to you is this, that the triumphal entry that is to take place at the same time, roughly, that the Passover feast is getting ready to come to Israel. And in God's perfect time, and in God's perfect way, and according to God's perfect plan, Jesus is entered in Jerusalem on his time, in his way, for his purposes, all fulfilling his word. Listen to Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption of sons. Did you catch that? When the fullness of time had come. Friends, God was not late. God was not drowsy or sleeping. It was working out exactly on the timetable that God had established. And you know what? That is something that you can bank on in your life for sure. God is always right on time. God is never late. Listen to this. No one can stop the work of God in your life. Do you realize that? Some of y'all need to grab a hold of this today. Some of you will have people do things to you, say things to you. Things won't go your way at work or in your family or some other circumstance. And you'll start like freaking out. Like, oh no, they did this or said this or broke this off or this didn't work out or whatever. And if you're not careful, you can curl up in a ball of insecurity over in a corner somewhere of your house or your home. And you can fail to remember that there is not one 
person on this earth that can usurp the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only person that can get that kind of power in your life is the kind of person you give that power to. And if you give them that power, if you give them that space that you messed my life up or you didn't come through for me or this didn't work out or this didn't happen the way it was supposed to, friend, you have got to learn how to rest in the timetable of God. We need to learn the value of waiting on God while we lean upon his promises. Nothing catches God by surprise. Everything that God does is in complete control. He operates this world according to his timetable. And listen, child of God, you can trust every word of God every day of your life. I mean, Joseph is probably the greatest example of this. Sold as a slave, falsely accused, thrown into prison, but eventually, eventually. I mean, think about this, guys. Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery, Genesis chapter 37. By the time he gets out of prison and stands before Pharaoh, 13 years have passed. 13, just let that sink in for a few minutes. You have been sold into slavery. You have been lied about. You have been manipulated. Your brothers have essentially killed you. You have been written off. And listen, the answer doesn't come in one day or one week. Or one year. You just, start, you just start rattling off 13 years of your life. Just start thinking about it. I'm 44 years old. That's me when I'm 31 years old. 13 years ago, I'm just beginning my ministry in California. And 13 years later, I've already been here going on seven years. You just back your clock up 13 years. How old are you? What were you doing 13 years ago? Some of you were like, I don't know, I wasn't even here. Right. Guys, I'm just trying to put it in perspective. You read Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis 39, and you don't think, I mean, the Bible in the Old Testament sometimes say, you know, and Abraham was 100 years old. That's 25 years in one verse. Think about it, 13 years. 13 years ago, what happened to you? 13 years ago, what was going on in your life? 13 years ago, what was negative? What didn't go the right way? Whatever happened, 13 years ago. 13 years was enough time for God to set everything up just the way God wanted it to be set up. Because if Joseph hadn't been in prison, then Joseph wouldn't have interpreted the dreams. And then the dream wouldn't have come to Pharaoh at the right time. And I'm just simply saying to you that God, according to Psalm 105, sent Joseph ahead to preserve life. Aren't you glad that God can see something 13 years out and work it out in your life to put you right in the right spot, right at the right time to fulfill every good purpose and promise of God in your life. Somebody better help me up here. You ought to rest in that today. My goodness, friend, it is a game changer. It is a transformational reality that everything that God does is good and everything that God and he works all things out together for good in his time. And come on, child of God, you can rest in that today. His timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. And then you see, his sacrifice was ready. His sacrifice was ready. I know the uh, senior adults have been studying the book of Daniel, but I, I got to tell you, Daniel chapter 9 is perhaps one of the greatest prophetic chapters in all the Bible, a promise to Israel about a season of years, you can read it beginning in Daniel chapter 9 verse 25, 
a series of years totaling 483 years that would lead to Messiah being cut off. I mean, like, it's a literal, actual, specific promise that Messiah would die. And, and, and by the way, this is something that the Old Testament saints missed, and that is why the same people that cried out Hosanna on Sunday are crying out crucify him on Friday because they missed much of what was said in the Old Testament. They looked for the kingdom revolution, the one that was going to come after the second coming. But then Peter reminds him in 1 Peter chapter number 1 that the prophets spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So, so the Old Testament was clear that Jesus was going to die. Not only was it clear that Jesus was going to die, but it was also clear when Jesus was going to die. And quite literally, if you start that timetable from the, the day that Artaxerxes issued the commandment of Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and you fast forward 483 years exactly, then you are going to land somewhere between A.D. 30 and A.D. 33, quite literally, when Jesus Christ died. Now, friend, I am here to tell you that when Jesus walks into Jerusalem on this Sunday afternoon, he is coming to fulfill an ultimate promise that his sacrifice was actually ready. And then you realize that that very same week as the Passover, get this, at the Passover in Jerusalem, some estimate that 256,000 sheep were sacrificed in Jerusalem, but only one lamb was chosen by the high priest to be the sacrifice to atone for the sins of the nation. And that is going to be a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. We're not going to get there yet, but, but, but at the Last Supper, come on, at the Last Supper with the Lord and his disciples which every other person that's celebrating the, the Last Supper is going to have the drink, they're going to have the bread, the unleavened bread, and they're going to have what? They're going to have lamb. Y'all yeah. better help me up here. And when you get to that Last Supper, you get there, what are they having? What are they serving? They're serving wine and they're serving bread. But what is not being offered at that table is lamb. Why? Because the Lamb of God is sitting right there with them about to offer himself and end the celebration of the Passover forever for all time is the fulfillment of it all. That is what happens at the triumphal entry. Christ's sacrifice was ready. And I want to say this to you as we conclude. What you take away from this is that the promises of God are absolutely true. In Christ, as the Bible says, they are yea. And, and I'm here to tell you that, that, that this culmination here of Jesus at the triumphal entry is just one of scores of prophetic utterances in the Old Testament like the virgin birth, Isaiah 7, 14. Like his sacrificial death, Isaiah 53. Like the resurrection, Psalm 16 and verse number 10. And the good news is if the king came the first time under these authoritative utterances of God, then I am here to tell you that he is certainly going to come a second time. Just like he said he would. The first time he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey bringing peace. The next time he's going to come riding in on a horse bringing war and destruction and establishing his kingdom forever. Christ is coming again. Now, several years ago, Billy Graham was on the Johnny Carson show. And at one point, Johnny Carson asked Billy Graham, what do you think would happen to Jesus 
if he came to earth again and he said, I quote, I bet we'd do him in again. Graham leaned forward and said, Johnny, Jesus predicted that he would return to this earth the first time he came in love. The next time he will come in power, no one will do him in. I got good news for you today. I, I get so, I get, I, it just, it's almost comical to me when I see Christians getting so bothered by what's happening in the news, in politics. I mean, respectfully, what's wrong with y'all? Do you not know that there is no power or authority or government on this planet that ultimately can overthrow, overtake, and submerge the kingdom of God? Do you not know that he's coming and he's going to uproot and destroy it all and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth? Do you not know that? Do you not believe that today? And friend, I, I look, I've got opinions and I've got political things I'd like to see and there's all kinds of things I'd like to do. But I'm telling you, this world is not my home. My citizenship is in another world. My kingdom is another world. And I'm with Christ. And I'm telling you that no matter how bad it gets, I've got this hope. That just like the king came the first time, the king is going to come a second time. And that's our hope today. That the king is coming. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for the word of God. We thank you. That you are coming. And you're coming again. And Lord, we look to you and we, we, we long for that day. And Lord, we don't want to miss it like Israel so sadly missed it. Lord, we want to be right there ready, eager for your coming. Now I want to ask you a couple questions today. First, I want to ask you, are you ready for the king to come? Do you know for certain that when Christ comes, he's coming for you? Do you know for certain that you have accepted him, that you've trusted him, and that because of that, you're forgiven and on your way to heaven? How many of you say, preacher, for sure, I know that, praise God, I know for certain that that is true. Would you lift up your hand with me and say, man, praise God, I know that. Amen. Amen. You can lower your hands. Is there anybody here today that say, preacher, I don't know. I'm not sure if Christ is my Savior, and I'm not certain that I have ever accepted him. I'm, I'm not sure that I've ever said, God, save me. But today, I'd like to know that Jesus is my Savior. And preacher, I'd appreciate if you'd pray for me. If that's you, would you just hold your hand up? Just slip it right up, right back down. Preacher, that's me. I don't know, but I'd like to know. Pray for me if you would. I wonder how many of you would say this, preacher, I just needed to be reminded about God's promises, God's perfect timing in my life, and the reminder that God always has it all working according to his plan for, his good, for our good and for his glory. I needed that reminder, and I'm thankful for the promises of God today and preacher I, I needed that if that's you just lift up your hands that was me preacher I needed that God bless you that's great I want to encourage you to stand we're going to worship we're going to sing and we're going to conclude our service so I'll ask our worship team to come and prepare us I would encourage you
there's a promise you need to claim, if there's something you need to wait on God for, about, I want to encourage you to come and spend some time in prayer. If you need prayer, I'd be glad to pray with you. Others would be as well. Let's sing together. Let's worship. Let's praise God that he is our king. Let's sing and pray together.